You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Talking Chop Podcast. This is episode number 46. I am your co-host, Carlos Colazzo, along with uh, Brad Rowland. How's it going, buddy? I'm good, man. It's 2017. Uh, it's a late Sunday night, and uh, it's time to get rolling. It's New Year's Day. This is, this is called dedication to all the listeners out there. This is you and I recording on a holiday. Even though we skipped last week, it was because it was Christmas, so... It's New Year's Day. We're back. Let's yeah, do it. We skipped Christmas, so we couldn't really justify skipping New Year's Day, even if you had to sprint home from the uh, Hawks basketball game tonight. Uh, you're always on the grind, so I figure I should get on the grind with you and host this bad boy with you. But it's fun. It's a new year. Thankfully, 2016 is behind us. Uh, we are one day closer to baseball season. Uh, and really, at this point, I feel like it's the most dead period uh, for baseball in general. Would you agree with that notion real quick before we get into our uh, main topics for, for today? Yeah, I can't remember the last time I like heard about a baseball story. Like It's been a couple weeks since there was an actual like big baseball story. Even, I mean, the last thing, I guess, is our, probably our biggest topic we haven't hit on yet. Mm-hmm. That's pro- it's probably the last big thing across baseball that happened, and it's been you know more than a week. So, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely we're in the dead zone here. There's still stuff that will probably, you know, at some point somebody across the league will, will, will pull a major deal at some point here. It might, be, it might, might, might just be John Coppolella because that's just kind of what he does. Mm-hmm. But right now, it's uh, it's deader than dead, as you say. Yeah, it's such a dead period that effectively Wild uh, was killed. The the best baseball podcast out there, in my opinion, is no longer. So I guess we're going to have to fill that void for uh, Sam Miller, who's who's leaving the podcast. If you guys don't listen to that podcast, quick uh, quick shout out to Effectively Wild. You should definitely check that out. For sure. Um, but, but let's jump into some Brave stuff. Uh, it's the first big piece of news that we haven't touched on here in the uh, realm of audio is the Ender Inciarte extension. I know we touched on this when it happened December 23rd, a couple days before Christmas. Ivan wrote a a really good recap of this extension for the Braves, and he basically said it was the greatest Christmas present uh, for the Braves and their fans. Uh, Real quick, I mean, I feel like most of the takes on this have been pretty unanimous, but here are the the details on the contract. Uh, He was extended through... 2021 with a club option for 2022 and the money is 3.5 million signing bonus in 2016 then 2 million 4 million 5 million 7 million 8 million and 9 million uh, option in 2022 with a 1.2 or 3 million dollar buyout so just your quick thought or i guess not quick we can we can take a little bit on this what are your thoughts on this extension uh, it's fantastic. Uh, I think, I think at least my, I'll speak to myself. I think my 
thoughts and NCR are pretty much out there. Uh, he's tremendous. Uh, he's 26 years old. He just turned 26 in October. So he'll be playing at 26 for the 2017 season and uh, locking him up for five more years. Um, you know, when you say five year, five year extension, it should at least be noted that, you know, a lot of that is team control already. That was just arbitration buyout. Yeah. But at the same time, you got him for cheap throughout that, and you got you got another extra year of control. It could, it could be an extra two years of control if you go into the option year, in which if Enciarte is anything like the player that he's been right now, that'll become an absolute no-brainer pickup. Uh, that's obviously a long way down the road. Um, and I, I like you, you always want to have a club option at the end uh, in case uh, just to get, get some uh, extra value. So uh, getting him for less than uh, eight figures per season, even at the end of this deal, is a huge win. Uh, Enciarte, I'm not super convinced – is this like awesome hitter? Mm-hmm. You know, down the stretch last season, uh, NCRT was fantastic with the bat. Um, probably, probably a little bit over his head, but even with all of that and, and it kind of a slow start, he was about a league average hitter. And given the fact that he's an awesome defensive player at a premium position in center field, um, he's easily worth this money. Mm-hmm. Um, I likened it a little bit to the Anderson Simmons extension when that first happened. Uh, we were all excited about that before the trade, and uh, even even with the caveat that Simmons has really never become a good hitter, he still earned that money. And Enciarte is obviously already a better hitter than Simmons has ever been. I so it's, say I have way more faith in Enciarte's bat than I ever did in Simmons. So. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, you you could talk me into Enciarte being an above average hitter, um, but at worst, we've now seen him two years in a row here be a league average hitter, which is great. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're an awesome defender in center field and a league average hitter, you're worth you know, was at least 15 million a year, probably close to 20. Um, just based on what, I mean, if you go, if you go purely by the war per dollar, which I don't really love to do, um, he's definitely, definitely worth, you know, upwards of 20 million or, or more per season, given he's been worth three or four wins uh, the last two years. So I, I'm inclined to go against that a little bit just because of the defensive stuff, but he's certainly worth this money and much, much more. And, you know, to give him a little bit of security, um, that's a good trade off. And I love this deal. What do you think about it? No, I'm hundred percent there with you. I think one of the most interesting parts about what Ivan kind of broke down in this deal is that if you took out all of the defensive value that he gives you in uh, wins above replacement, he is still um, more valuable than the money that he's going to be owed, which is kind of crazy just because it really is from 2014 to 2016. He was okay. Okay. So 2014, he was 0.6, then 1.7, then 2.2 war. Uh, for each of those years, respectively, and based on the contract that he just got, uh, the Braves would be still be getting surplus value, and that that's taking away like the biggest thing that he gives you, which is that awesome defense and in, in center field. So I, I don't think there's any question that this is a good deal for the Braves moving forward. It'll be interesting to see what kind of a hitter he is over this period of time. I mean, it's his age twenty six through thirty one uh, seasons potentially if the club options picked up. So just watching his development as a hitter will be interesting. But even if he doesn't continue what he did in the the second half of 2016, the floor that you get with his defensive value is just so high that I don't see any situation barring some sort of freak injury where this turns out poorly for the Braves. So I think it's definitely a good move. Uh, And it's nice to know that a guy like this is going to be around for the rebuild. And if not, I think that this also helps his trade value if another team. I mean, we saw the Adam Eaton trade. Uh, this offseason, I think that's a that's an easy comp to put on it just because he was recently traded, kind of a defensive defensive wizard out there in the outfield. But uh, I like this deal regardless uh, if, if the Braves are going to hang on to him or uh, look to trade him in the future. I like it. Yeah, this is the kind of thing that a, that a Braves team with a, you know, at, at best a medium-sized payroll almost has to do. Like, 
if you can guarantee yourself a guy who's going to be an above average regular mm-hmm. um, with a with a seven figure salary, that's a, such a valuable thing for a team that has real payroll concerns. And, you know, the Braves might spend more money in the future if SunTrust Park clicks and things go well uh, in terms of Liberty Media and they want to give them more money to spend. But if you go off, you know, go off what's, what's transpired in the past, you expect the, the Braves to have sort of a middling payroll, which is fine. But the more the more value you can get on these cheaper guys, it's huge for a team like the Braves, even more so than some of these other you know, Adam, Adam Eaton, you mentioned that mm-hmm. that deal. There's a lot of these teams who could um, obviously getting a guy for cheaper is always better, but it's it's magnified even more with a team like the Braves that has that that limited structure. So it's just a great a great thing, a great win. Obviously, we, we don't want to go too deep on this because it's been you know almost two weeks now. That deal happened, but uh, it was it's definitely worth talking about. And uh, Ender is a fan favorite for a reason. He's a lot of fun to watch on top of just being good. Like he's a guy who kills himself on a daily basis, mm-hmm. flies around on the outfield, flies around on the base pass. He's a lot. He's a very entertaining fan favorite guy too, and that helps only a little bit, I guess. You know, for me, I, I think you as well. We're more analytically minded, but um, the fan base really likes him too. And he, to have a, to have sort of a partner in crime for uh, Dancy Swanson up the middle for a long time is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, real quick before we move on, if you guys are interested in uh, just looking into a little bit more about the value that NCRT is going to be providing or is likely to provide moving forward, there's a good piece on Fangraphs from Nicholas Stellini, uh, and he says that NCRT is likely to produce more than $100 million in on-field value over the next five years, and that obviously exceeds what his contract's going to give him. Uh, so if you haven't read that, you should definitely read that, as well as what we've already posted on Talking Chop. Um, but yeah, it's exciting to have Ender, uh, locked up for two additional years, I guess. Uh, and then moving on to a guy who really we've continued to hear about, despite the fact that he's never played for the Braves, uh, and hopefully he won't be signed by the Braves. I guess this gives away my position, but Matt Wieters, Brad, we, we keep hearing about Matt Wieters. Um, what's the deal with all this? Do you think the Braves are going to acquire him? Do you think they should acquire him? Or is this just Scott Boris being Scott Boris? Yeah, we, we got a good mailbag question. I, I'll, I'll let you shout out the mailbag question that we got about Boris after I answer. But mm-hmm. yeah, Weeders is a guy, you understand why he's uh, been linked to the Braves and that the Braves don't have a, a permanent long-term catcher. Um, he's a Boris client. He played at Georgia Tech. There's that local, there's that local connection with Weeders. And listen, he, he's not a terrible player by any means. So um, I've come around a little bit only because I'm assuming, and this is probably a dangerous assumption, that his price tag has come down. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been the rumor around baseball is that, A, the Braves are interested in which you've gotten mixed signals mixed about that, especially locally. I think you know Mark Bowman and Dave O'Brien have kind of given uh, opposite points of view at different points about this, about whether Weirs is actually a guy the Braves like at all. Um, but if we, even if we assume that the Braves do like him, I'd be okay with it at a at a cheap cost for a mm-hmm. for a small amount of a small amount of years. Uh, my, my thing coming in, and we, we, I think we talked about this a couple of times, is that I assumed Weirs would get a big long term deal because of the fact that he was he's sort of a big name, he's a Boris client catcher is such a weird position in which uh, you know guys that are any good at all are worth a lot because the positional positional value is basically um, in the tank right now, but. If you could tell me that they get him for cheap, um, Weeters is, you know, he's 30 years old. You don't want to lock up, lock him up for too long. But he also could be an upgrade on what the Braves currently have. So I've become more bullish on it. I'm not terribly excited about Matt Weeters, but if you want to give a guy to me uh, and, and to the Braves on a, on, a, on a cheaper contract, I'd be okay with it. But unless the price tag actually came down, um, you never know if it actually is true until, until somebody signs a deal. If that if that did not happen, then I don't want any part of a bidding war from Matt Weeders. Let's, let's just say that. Yeah. 
Okay, so how far do you think the price tag would have to come down before you were happy with it? Because Matt Weir <laughs> over the past three years has been a 1.2 war player on average over the last three years, whereas Tyler Flowers, who will be getting $3 million from the Braves in 2017, has been a tick below that at 1.1. So, yeah, I think I mean, obviously I think Weir's I do. is going to get more than $3 million, or at least I hope he will, considering he just got a qualifying offer for $15 million last year. But I think... For me, it has to be around ten or under that to give him a just a short term deal. Like, I would feel very, very iffy about giving Weeders much more than ten million for multiple years. Just because yeah, I he's mean, thirty. He's around the same age as Flowers is, and you have Flowers locked up for seven million over the next two years if we if the Braves pick up the uh, two thousand eighteen option. I think ideally you'd be looking at those guys in sort of a 60-40 timeshare. Even if you paid up for Weeders, mm-hmm. you're still going to see Tyler Flowers on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, Weeders is not the kind of guy who you have to play you know, five days a week um, in, in the way that you would have to play an, an, an upper-tier catcher. There's only a handful of those guys in the league, in my estimation, that are actually worth you know giving four fifty five hundred bats to in a season. Weeders is not one of them. So it'd be a situation where you brought him in to complement Flowers. You, know, you could say Weeders is the primary guy, Flowers is the secondary guy, but mm-hmm. It would be like a 65-35 split, I'd imagine, if they did that. Um, I'm not sure you know, how much better he is than Flowers. He's a little bit safer, I'd imagine. I don't really buy Flowers' bat from last year, to be honest with you. And there's also the problem with him throwing out runners. Um, I do think Flowers is okay. I've, that, I've been on record saying that you know, a Flowers-Anthony Wrecker um, platoon sort of split thing would not be the worst catcher situation in the league by any means. Like It wouldn't be good, but it would not be horrible either just because of how bad catcher is. But you know, yeah, I think you're, I think you're onto something there with an eight-figure number. I, any, anything that was eight figures longer than two years would terrify me. Mm-hmm. If you told me they signed Matt Weir's for like two years and twenty-four million, I'd be okay with that because it's a shorter-term deal. Uh, you're paying him twelve million a year, which is too much, honestly. But it's it, because it's so short, I'd be okay with it. If you get it at three-year range, you're hoping that number comes down, and you're looking at you know maybe three for twenty-four or something like that. If you want the security, um, I wouldn't. You know, if, if the Braves sign him for three and thirty-three, I would not be happy. Let's just say that if, if, if you go over eight figures for three years, that's too much for Matt Weeders. Um, even if you uh, are optimistic on on his bounce back potential and him being healthy for a full season, all that stuff, and you know getting the bump from coming quote unquote home to Atlanta. Um, I don't want really to see that being a value. So it really depends. You know, it's tough. People ask us this, this stuff all the time. You know, w- would you want to sign Matt Weeder's open-ended question? And yeah, if it's cheap and no, if it's not. So it's, you have to tell me what the price point is. Um, if you told me, if you told me what it is, I can tell you yes or no. And if it's a three, four year deal at, at, at an eight figure salary, then I, I would uh, do a hard pass on that. Yeah. I think I'd agree with you there. I wouldn't really be too interested in, uh, anything more than like a one year deal for him to try and maybe, uh, increase his value again because I think you did you did point out something uh, pretty pretty apt I would say with Tyler Flowers with his uh, with his bat his 110 WRC plus last year was uh, the highest of his career in a full year at the major leagues before that his highest was still below average with a 96 in 2014 uh, I think maybe we might be getting a little too concerned with his throwing woes this year uh, he threw out like five percent of runners this season and I was like, <laughs> was, I was like uh, extremely extremely it was so bad I, I just think it's so it's just so noticeable yeah. that people at Johnson I'm guilty of it too he's not a listen he's a good by all accounts he's a good receiver mm-hmm. so there's he's not a terrible defensive catcher he's just bad in that one area he's good at everything else yeah. which is fine so just for comparison Weeders throws out 33 percent of runners over his career <laughs> which is which is above average 
But oh. even with Flowers' 5% last year, he's a 23%. Uh, he's 23% th- uh, for catching runners, which is not good, but it's not 5%. It's not as terrible as last year, and you'd hope that that bounce back a little. But um, real quick, if you're interested in more of the projections, uh, Steamer projects Weeder to be a 1.8 war player and uh, Flowers to be 0.8 war. Do you think that's crazy for one of them? I think the we- the Steamer for Weeders is a little bit high, to be honest. I think they've got a lot in his defensive projections, but we're really getting into the weeds here. So unless you're really excited about Steamer projections, we can... No, I, I think that, I think it's not. It's probably a little high, but probably reasonable. You know, you, you mentioned the WAR per season over the last three years. The two years previous to that, to last year, he was pretty banged up. Mm. So it's one of those situations where they're probably going more heavily off the full season in 2016, which he was 1.7 Fangraphs WAR. So yeah, I mean, you know, high high ones, maybe two is he reasonable. Also had a pretty low BABIP. I mean, he's a pretty yeah. low BABIP guy in general, but it was below his career norm. I'd say he's yeah, trending he's down a in general, but most catchers are below BABIP. Just kind of. You know, because because with not being able to run most of the time, <laughs> you know, those knees. Uh, but is fine. Like he's better than Tyler Flowers. Um, the, the question is how much better, and really, it's how much better that is he than Anthony Recker or Tuffy Gosowich, mm-hmm. because Flowers is going to be in a part of the catch situation at this point. It'd be a shock if he was not. Uh, he might be the backup if the Braves make a move like this one to Waiters, where Waiters becomes the primary guy, quote unquote. But Flowers is going to be involved, so. It's how much you want to pay for the upgrade from Weeders, you know, from you know, Wrecker, Wrecker to Weeders or Kozowicz to Weeders or whatever you want to say that it is. Uh, if the Braves went out and got Weeders, um, you know, regardless of, of of number on the salary, if you pair Weeders and Flowers together, that's one of the top ten catching duos in the in the league. I'm pretty confident in that. Yeah, um, it's a sad but, state you know, of catching in Major League Baseball. Well, that's the thing. I mean, if you <laughs> most backup catchers, like if you make Tyler Flowers a number two catcher. He becomes an elite number two catcher, um, whereas as a starter, he's probably you know bottom ten, definitely below average as a starting catcher. But if he's your number two guy, he's suddenly really good. So it's it's sort of a weird spot and one where I still am pretty skeptical that the Braves are as interested as some people might think that they are. But the longer this goes into into where, now we're into twenty seventeen and you get into February and Matt Weaver doesn't have a deal, you become uh, more likely to lock him down at a, at a number that is more reasonable than if we were talking about this in, in November. Yep. All right, last uh, last question from uh, one of our, I guess, listeners. I, I imagine if you're asking the question on the mailbag, you're you're probably listening to see if we're going to answer your question. But uh, Patrick Mallet, Mallet, sorry if I pronounced your name wrong. We have a habit of doing that here. Um, he asks, are Boris's connections in the media probably responsible for the hype and rumors linked to the Braves? Your quick thoughts on this? I, Not that we have I, any insider information, but I'm going to trust Mark Bowman and say that the Braves aren't really that interested. That's basically exactly what I was going to say. I mean, Boris is you know famous for this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the most prominent agent in really in sports, to be honest. Like I think he's probably the most well known agent in any sport, and uh, there's a reason for it. Like his tactics are often uh, interesting. I will say to be kind, uh, just kind of controversial. But uh, he, he's good at getting, his, at getting his clients' names out there, and uh, that's you know n- normally when you have a report like what Bowman said that the Braves are not interested. And it's conflicting with what uh, you're hearing in the public. It's because the agent's behind the rumor, and uh, Bowman might be seeing through it. And I'm intended to go with him as well. But listen, Copy said over and over again that uh, there's always a price point in which you're looking at a guy. I mean, and I believe it was the last Ask Copy session. It turned into uh, he he mentioned Weeders by name at one point because somebody asked him, and like there always there's always a price point. I will say this is a very value based front office as for as much as we can see right now. And uh, that means that everybody has their price. And if the, if the other, if the other side meets it, then you're willing to talk. 
Yep, Copy would probably trade one of his children if he could get a uh, world championship. But <laughs> <laughs> all right, so uh, let's move on to our next topic, which is the uh, the top ten Braves storylines of 2016. Um, if you haven't had a chance to read this, go on over to Talking Chop. Uh, Chris Willis put together our top ten list of uh, of the best Braves stories. I can just run through them really quick. If you uh, just want to know what we're talking about right here. Uh, coming in at number 10, Braves take part in the Fort Bragg game. Number 9, Andrew Jones and John Sherholtz inducted into the Braves Hall of Fame. Number 8, the Braves fire Freddy Gonzalez after the slow start of the season. Number 7, Braves make splash in international free agency and sign Kevin Maiton. 6, Inciarte wins a Gold Glove Award. 5, uh, the Braves draft, essentially. Four, Braves trade for Matt Kemp and suddenly become a good offensive team. Three, the Braves remove the interim label and hire Brian Snicker as a full-time manager. Two, the Braves' uh, final series and game against the Tigers, uh, finishing the Turner Field era with a 1-0 shutout. And number one, Dansby Swanson makes his Major League debut. What do you think about this list, Brad? Are there any jarring... um, misses on this list is there anything you you think should be on here that isn't or are you is, disappointed that Dansby Swanson is the number one story of 2016 no I think that's honestly you know shots to Chris Bowles for doing this it's <laughs> interesting I got a lot of feedback on this I think it's important to know this is not this is not a list of uh super important or great Braves things it's the biggest stories that's there's a difference there mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, moving out of Turner Field is a big story. Dansby, Dansby debuting is a big story. Even the Fort Bragg game, um, which you might not think is a, a big story, um, it was you know the Braves were one of two teams yeah. that participated in this huge thing that MLB did. That was much and, more of a national story too than right, just exactly. a centric story. So I definitely so, like that being on the list. So that's how it ends up on there. And you know, in the end, you could nitpick this kind of list. I don't know why you would, to be I'm, honest. I'm excited <laughs> with the amount of passion that people have for this list. To be honest, I look in the comments for two seconds, and there are people like. A little mad that number seven wasn't number five and flipping, <laughs> flipping places, and I was like, "Wow, all right, I'll yeah, take that, I'll I mean, take that passion, I guess." Sure, I mean, <laughs> I, I think I'm inclined to think that Chris got the top right. I mean, Dave's response, if you think about it, if he's your shortstop for the next, you know, ten, twelve years, which you think he is, you think he's your franchise player of the future, or at least one, one A, one A to Fred, Freddie Freeman's one B, something like that. Then him debuting is the biggest story, and that makes that makes a lot of sense. You know, Turner Field is a big deal in terms of a building being closed that had a lot of interesting times in it, and you know, moving into Central Park for 2017. So, I'm cool with Dansby being number one on this list. Uh, I think he'll, you know, his him, his presence is a huge story, and because he was so good early on, and because the expectations are so high for him, really across the fan base, across Braves country, people are really excited about Dansby. Um, it makes a lot of sense that he'd be number one, and uh, I think I'm, I'm cool with that. Where are you at with it? Uh, I was good with everything, except Chris really messed up royally by not putting Freddie Freeman's career year on the top ten list. Um, yeah, I mean... Not, not seriously, but I do think that looking back at this something. season, I think, because first of all, I think Freeman is, at this point, He's the hitter you're you're kind of centering this rebuild around. There's not a more talented hitter um, in the next few years than Freddie Freeman on this team. And having him hit 302, 400, uh, 569, and 34 homers, um, and re- really his best his best year all around um, is great to see, especially come, when you're kind of going into this rebuild, I guess. 
uh, trying to turn the switch and be competitive. I think that's important for your team. You need that to happen. And I also feel like we've been kind of waiting for Freeman to take that next step uh, and add a little bit more power into his game. And he did that. And I think uh, the Braves, are, it's going to be hard for the Braves to be successful without him being this type of hitter moving forward. So I think that that's something you definitely want to take away from the year. I mean, he was preposterous this year. I mean, I think we've, we've, we've tried to lay it out, but going 300, 400, 500 for a full season with 34 home runs, like I would have taken the under on 33 and a half uh, home runs for you know, for Freddie as a career high. Mm-hmm. So like the fact that he did that now, at you know, he was 26 for most of this season. Um, he was ridiculous. And on a better team, he probably would have finished what top three in MVP voting? Yeah, he should um, have been third in the MVP voting, regardless of what team. But yeah, if we're being realistic, if he was on the so team, he should have been. I mean, not that three. team should have anything to do with it. That's a whole different discussion. Yeah. But I think we know. I think we know that it does mm-hmm. in the voting. Um, so yeah, I, Freddie was incredible. I'm still a little bit skeptical that he's actually that guy. I think we know he's really good, um, but that could be his best year of his career. And if it is, then there's that's really no beef with that, considering how good he really was. Um, the, the three years before that, he was also very good. So um, Freddie's awesome. And uh, yeah, it's probably worth including uh, just how incredible he was throughout the season. And uh, if anything, he remains underrated, especially nationally. But I think even locally, just because uh, you know the slow start the Braves had and all that stuff, and the fact that he really wasn't very good in April. I remember doing this podcast in like early May and kind of being like, what's wrong with Freddie Freeman? Yeah, and now we look, now we look back and it's like, uh, well, I guess nothing. Questions about his wrist <laughs> and everything. Wondering if that was gonna continue plaguing him. But yeah, I mean, six point one WAR season. Uh, and then Steamer, I wanted to ask you about this. His Steamer projections. I know I'm all over Steamer. Steamer on this podcast, but uh, this is his, like great great promos for Steamer today. Sorry, I love it. I love sorry it. about that. Well, it's fine. I, I, I like it. They need to pay us to advertise or something. I, I feel like Dan Zaborski and Zips are gonna be really upset at us that we're using Steamer instead of Zips. <laughs> sorry about that, Dan. Sorry, Dan. Uh, they project uh, Freeman to basically go right back to his 2015 level next season. They project him for a 3.6 war, uh, a 275, 378, 490 line. Do you think that is uh, kind of slighting Freeman at all, or do you think it's more reasonable that we expect him to go back to around what his uh, career average is? Yeah, I won't claim to know what Steamer's uh, background is, to be honest, but I'd imagine most of these statistical systems take you know multiple years into account previously. Mm-hmm. So if you if you look at that, it's not a surprise to me that it, they're, they're probably thinking that 2016 is the outlier of them all. Um, but yeah, it seems which a little fair, low. Which it is. Yeah, I mean, it seems a little low to me, to be honest, especially um, in the power, just because you know I think at twenty at 26, 27 is probably going to be more like your true power than where you were, where you were in your early twenties, you know, power usually comes on a little bit later um, on, especially a guy like Freeman who isn't like this super athlete. Like I think he's just kind of filling out and getting stronger as he gets older. So the power areas where I would probably be a little bit skeptical, they were, you know, the 490 slugging percentage is is very good. And that would be obviously no problem if Freddie just did that for a full season. But after a 569 season, you know, I think they're just being cautious, and that's fine. It's a statistical, statistical I can't say that word, projection. <laughs> um, and, yeah, it takes into account multiple seasons, and that's kind of what you get from it, these. All, all these systems normally bring you down to the middle. Um, so if mm-hmm. guys are guys have a really bad year, they, their projection system usually thinks they're going to be better than next year. Guys have a really great year, they're going to pull you back down. So no surprise for me. I'd probably go a little bit higher. If you ask me to guess his war right now, I'd probably we say what? That. We should do that and keep track and see if uh, let's do it closer. Let's get reckless in early January. I'm going to go four. I'm going to go four point six. Four point six. I'm glad you did that because I I didn't. Mm, you know what? 
This is tough. Okay. I'm going to be more bold than you, actually, on second thought. I'm going to say the power. The power is here to stay. I'm going to say he has a 5.2 war season. Which would be his second best of his career. Yep. Because um, his, his best before last year was 2013. So, so you didn't want to stop hit... that 2013 year, did you? No, I, it was he hit, he hit 319 in 2013. Uh, it was flirting with the batting title all year long. Mm-hmm. That's not really what Freddie is, I, I don't think, at this point. He's going to hit for average at all times, but not 319 average. You know, most got. You know, 319 is like good enough to lead the lead in batting average right now. That's just kind of the way this the, the way the league is going. Yeah. I'm expecting so, him to set another career high in his walk rate next year. That's going to help me out a little bit. Uh, that would not surprise me. I think Freddie's now firmly established in the double digit percentage in terms of walk rate. And if he goes higher than the 12.8 from this year, then sure, that, that's not something that's out of the ordinary. I think I do think last year might be inflated just a tad bit just because of how bad the lineup was around him, yeah. especially early on before Kemp came over. And I think. You know, for better or worse, we talk about Kemp, Matt Kemp at a, at a later date. The pitchers are still a little bit at least they 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 do they do command some level of respect for Kemp and the fact that he just had all that power and behind you know when Freeman Freeman had no, basically nobody hitting behind him for the first three months of the season. So uh, you saw his walk rate kind of drown a little bit late, even even when he was hot, only because you know early on it was like in the 15, in the fifteen range if I'm remembering right. So. Yeah, I think it's reasonable. His his uh, his batting eye is uh, definitely quite quite solid. His play, his plate discipline is very good. And uh, again, Freddie is uh, really good at baseball. Yep, indeed, he is. Uh, is. There any other topic you want to hit on before we jump into some mailbag questions? Like I said, this is kind of the most dead period of baseball, so it might not be as long of a podcast as we normally have. But we're going to jump into a few of your questions before we sign off on New Year's Day. Yeah, let's just let's just bounce, man. We got we got nothing else going on. I'm sure I'm sure Copy will pull some craziness on Monday morning and make this podcast <laughs> irrelevant. Sure. But uh, here we are. All right. Well, we'll jump back in with Patrick uh, Mallet or Mallet again with the pronunciation. He has another question that I thought was really interesting. Um, he asks or he says, "Baseball America lists Anderson, um, Ian Anderson, and Mike Soroka as mid rotation guys. Are they just low on two guys who haven't gotten to the upper minors yet?" Um, first of all, I don't think Baseball America is low on these guys. They were both solidly in uh, Baseball America's top 10 uh, Braves prospect list. Uh, so I don't know if they're low on them. But as far as if you think their uh, their future projections are low, uh, really quick, Brad, what do you think? Then I, I had a little bit more time to prep for this one so I can dive into it a little bit unless you want to go ahead and do that right now. Yeah, I'm going to defer to you for the most part. I will say that you know, projecting guys as mid-rotation guys is like somehow seen as like a slight in like in this day and yeah. age. And <laughs> like, I don't know. It's if you're if you're if you're if you're getting a number three starter, that's worth a whole lot. Um, so yeah, I, I I personally think a little bit more of that uh, than that for Soroka on the upside. Mm-hmm. But again, um, both these guys have potential. Have potential to be very very good. They're very very young, and they don't have. As much as I like both these guys, I know Soroka is a favorite of our podcast and of our site in general, especially Eric because Eric loves Soroka. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, you know, I'm hesitant to say that uh, this is low on those guys because, yeah, if everything came together for one or one or both of those guys, then sure, maybe maybe they had, but they do have ace potential, but they don't have the pure raw stuff that you just yeah, associate exactly. like a drop dead ace guy. So it's fine. I, yeah. I, hopefully they get, hopefully they're better than that. I think we all know that that's a possibility. But uh, projecting those guys in mid-rotation is not an insult, I don't think. No, definitely not. I, I, I would agree that, first of all, uh, mid-rotation is not bad. It's excellent. 
not excellent. But f- for the average pitcher, it's definitely excellent. Everyone would love to be a middle rotation pitcher for a decade. But uh, yeah, I agree. I think Mike Soroka, middle rotation is fair for him. He's got a a low 90s fastball. It doesn't really get much higher than that. It really grades above average for his command of the pitch rather than his velocity um, and his ability to pound kind of the bottom of the zone. If you look at his strikeout rates in rookie ball and low A, uh, in rookie ball he had a 9.8K per 9, which is good. And in low A, Rome it dropped to 7.9. And obviously it's a long way off, but in general when you're projecting these guys, you want to see like really high K rates at levels that low. Um, cause uh, you would assume and you expect those numbers to get lower with each level that you go up. Um, and I really don't think he has the pitches to project this early on a top of the rotation guy. He doesn't have the tools for that. And he really doesn't have the strikeout numbers that you would think, okay, maybe he just has, maybe he's just crafty enough to get away with missing bats with maybe a, a slightly above average stuff. Um, with Ian Anderson, I think his ceiling is a little higher, but I still think there's a difference in what you're projecting a pitcher and what his ceiling is. Um, he's six foot three, 170, so his frame's a little bit more projectable. Um, he already can touch 97 on the fastball, even though he sits 92, 94. So I think you have a little bit more there. Um, but with Anderson, he doesn't even have like a. I know people have said he has an above average uh, breaking ball. It's kind of a slurvy slider curve pitch, but that's really not a true plus pitch at this point. So aside from the fastball, you're dealing with a slider that he's still working on and a changeup that MLB says is average. And I think Baseball America said it was uh, slightly above average. So he's still pretty young too. His strikeout rate wasn't anything crazy in rookie ball. So I don't think it's a slight to these guys. Um, I think the one thing that separates Colby Allard from Anderson is Colby Allard has that nasty breaking ball that already seems like a real plus pitch that you can kind of rely on a little bit more. So I think that's fair for these guys. Uh, they're really well, I don't players. know. Yeah, that's, that was exactly what I was going to say. I, you know, Anderson was pitching in high school yeah. seven months ago, it's, six it's months hard, ago. It's super hard to project a guy that young as a top-of-the-rotation guy unless they're, like, ridiculous, you know? Like, these guys are all very solid at this point. And until they start showing top-of-the-rotation-like results in the minors, it's hard to just kind of throw that on them. For sure, and again, no slights to be a mid-rotation guy at all. I understand the question because I think people like to deal in hyperbole with, with mm-hmm. prospects, but uh, if, if, one, if even one of these guys became a number three starter, that's actually a positive return on investment, so uh, I'm good with that. All right, next question. Uh, Ernie Ballard asks, how much playing time will Malix get, and do you think he's still in the long-term plans, or will he be moved sooner than later? I'll defer to you on this since I was way too long-winded on the last one. No, I mean, I know you've been uh, Mr. Anti-Malik, so <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to paint you in that corner. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird in the short term for Malik in that I seem I think I'm pretty confident at this point he's not going to be getting you know regular playing time this season. Uh, maybe the, maybe the Braves will pull a fast one on me and get rid of Nick, Nick Marquez somehow, but at this point in time, <laughs> I don't imagine that. that's going to be happening. Well, you know, it's... <laughs> It's it's not a great setup for Malik's because you know they, they just extended Enciarte, who is uh, clearly uh, best served as a center fielder. Malik's almost certainly has to be a center fielder to be, to make it the big leagues, considering his bat. Um, so it's not great for him short term. I still like Malik's. I think he could become a starting center fielder on the low end of that. Um, ideally, um, probably I don't know. It's it's a weird spot for him. I, I think he's a major league outfielder by by any stretch of the imagination. He definitely is that. 
Um, but it might he might his destiny might be as a fourth outfielder, you know, speed defense replacement kind of guy, which is fine. Um, I do. I, I would. Well, it is. I would. I would honestly prefer um, Malik's playing every day to Nate Marquez playing every day on a team that's not going to win the World Series. Like, why wouldn't you play the young guy? I, I kind of will always defer to that. Um, but that's just not going to happen. It's just I just can't see that happen. I mean, maybe in season they'll get to the season and decide that Marquez is, is a flippable asset. But even then, you still have a, a situation where your two younger outfielders are both center fielders. And neither one of their bats play in a corner. You know, Malik Smith's bat is just okay in center. If that his his bat is bad in the corner, so it's a weird spot for Malik. So it would not surprise me if the Braves traded him or at least included him as a sweetener in some bigger trade. We've kind of speculated about that all all offseason long, and it wouldn't surprise me still. Um, but he's not he's not that young either. You know, Malik's is twenty three. He'll be twenty four in May. That's still young, but it's not like preposterously young for a guy who has never done that much even in the minors has never like blown you away with numbers so i still like malik's i think i'm higher on him than you are but that doesn't really mean that i think he's going to have some like renaissance in the near future yep all right last question from tim bostic uh which farm team will have the best record this year uh and he specifies from low a to triple a but i think we can just do yeah we'll do that from gonette to rome I guess. Well, listen, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm openly going to defer to you on this right. one because I have no earthly idea. We're going to make you guess and hold you to that guess later so we can make fun of you when you're wrong. All Rome. right, Rome, so you're sticking. All right, just real quick, I'll let you I'll let you hold off on that. I won't make that your final. I'll tell you their record <laughs> from last year, and you can kind of ballpark where you think clusters of players will be if you want to try to mentally do that right now with no prep. Um, so 2016, here are the records. Uh, Gwinnett finished 65 and 78. Uh, Mississippi finished 73 and 65. The uh, Carolina Mudcats finished 52 and 87, easily the worst of these four. And the Rome Braves finished 70 and 69. So uh, Mississippi last season would have taken the crown with their 73 and 65 record. You wanna you wanna adjust your your prediction, or are you sticking with Rome? Um, I, I'm gonna stick with Rome. Um, that might be dumb, and, and Eric might listen to this podcast, and he'll send me a message yeah. that says you're an idiot. I feel like that's um, dumb. Uh, but listen, <laughs> I, I can say with one thing, one one thing with confidence, and that it's not Gwinnett. Gwinnett is not the right answer. Uh, the the Braves are a lot stronger in the lower minors than they are in the higher minors right now. So uh, fade Gwinnett. If somebody wants to bet, make a bet with you that Gwinnett has the best. Uh, upside of any of these teams then uh, you should take it because Gwinnett's the absolute wrong answer uh, but everything else uh, you know I might be wrong here but I'm gonna go with Rome uh, partially because I've been to several Rome Braves games and I've not set foot in the either of these stadiums for the Carolina Mudcats or the Mississippi team so uh, I'll, I'll go local with the Rome Braves in which I used to actually had an internship with the Rome Braves long ago hey, so shout out. Nice. Uh, I'll, I'll go with Rome for no apparent reason other than it's a low minors situation and it's not Gwinnett yep all right. Also, on that note, if someone bets with you that the Carolina Mudcats will have the uh, best record for the Braves, you should definitely take that because uh, they're not the team for the Braves this year. Uh, it'll be the Florida, the new Florida team for the Braves for High A, for Class A advanced. And I'm going to take the Class A advanced team in Florida. I feel like a lot of the pitchers who made up that Rome rotation are going to get the uh, promotion. Uh, and so basically I'm banking on that and maybe Braxton Davidson's third year or whatever in high A will will benefit him somehow. And promotions with guys like Ronald Acuna 
uh, and Austin Riley will help out the offense. So I'm going to say the uh, Braves Class A advanced team goes from worst to first. I think that was a, a fun question from Tim. Congrats. Thanks, buddy. Shout out to Tim Bostic, who is a regular asker of questions. Yes. I always like Tim's questions. So uh, thank you for asking your New Year's question. And uh, with that, I think that about does it for us. Brad, before we sign off, do you have any uh, – are you a New Year's resolutions kind of guy? Do you have any big resolutions this year? Is there anything you're looking forward to in the new year? Um, Not, not a big resolution guy other than uh, I like to make fun of people that do it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, this is – I don't really have like a list of resolutions by any means, but uh, you know, I w- I'm excited about the Atlanta Braves in, 20, in 2017. It should be a lot of fun. Um we're getting to that point in the rebuild in which you can start to see some more results happening. We saw a little bit that, that down the stretch of last year, but it should be a more fun season. I look, I look forward to the, to, the, to the days where we're actually living and dying on the results of Major League Baseball games. Because over the last two years, I, I don't know about you, but for me, I've been watching the team and kind of, not that I don't care about wins and losses, but just not expecting the team to win very often mm-hmm. will change your mindset when you're watching a baseball game. Whereas this year, you know, again... I'm not expecting a 91 season or anything like that, but it'll be more fun. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's fun to watch the standings. It's fun to see the team win uh, as often as it loses, or or potentially better than that if you want to get optimistic. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to 2017. I'm excited about the site. We're doing a lot of great work. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty bad at New Year's resolutions, but I I am excited. What are you thinking? Uh, I'm also not a New Year's resolutions guy. I think. Uh... In general, for me, I'm just trying to write more often, and that includes for uh, Talking Chop, read more often. I know there's a lot of good baseball writing and baseball books out there that I'm trying to get to. Uh, I just started The Arm. If you guys haven't read The Arm by Jeff Passan, you should definitely read that. I'm I'm like two chapters in, it's already really good. So uh, reading and writing a little bit more, but uh, like you said, uh, watching the Braves, excited for 2017. Uh, the new stadium. Uh, if we get to the point where more of the mailbag questions are about the major league team than the uh, guys in the minors, I feel like the rebuild will be uh, that would be a, that would be a win. Around because at this point, I feel like the interest is definitely in the minor league and the uh, the farm system more than the major league team at this point. Although with Dan's response we, enough, that's started to shift a little. And we are we are your home for minor league coverage. I yes, mean, no no one no one does it better than Eric and Garav and and those guys. Uh, they do they do fantastic yeah, work. Yeah, they do uh, Garrett and Matt, uh, all those guys. They, they do fantastic work, and we appreciate them a great deal. We appreciate you checking uh, checking on the site for all of your prospect needs because uh, that's one thing that we know we do better than everybody else. That's mm-hmm. something that I'm going to say. I mean, it's not I'm not crediting myself. I'm crediting people on our on our staff because they they're the ones that do it, but. Mm-hmm. Will not find better comprehensive Atlanta Braves minor league coverage anywhere on the internet. So yeah, I'm excited. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to do this podcast throughout the season, and we don't lose you again to some other great, great <laughs> opportunity, Carlos. But uh, we're here, and you're stuck with me for all year at, at the very least. Yeah, we're getting close to. Uh, I mean, getting around to the 52 weeks, which will be a full year of the Talking Chop podcast, which is fun. Ooh. I'm planning on getting to that benchmark with you, buddy. Um, but, I, I appreciate that. We'll have to have a, a grand celebration. Yeah, we'll have to do something fun. Maybe we'll try and get Mark Bowman on for the first time because, sheesh, we need to get that guy on here. Listen, we keep talking about behind the scenes. You, you're a very important person who has worked <laughs> for Mark <laughs> Bowman and alongside that. people like Kevin McAlpin and David O'Brien. Yeah. I feel like you, I feel like you should be pulling your way to get some yeah, guests, man. Come this on. This is my resolution. My new resolution is to get uh, Bowman and McAlpin on the podcast. How about that? 
Perfect. Uh, Bowman will definitely shatter our downloads record if we can finally <laughs> figure out a way to get him on the show. So, yeah. Mark, if you're listening to this and you're absolutely not listening to this, I appreciate your work and just love the show. All right, with that, uh, I think we're that's going to do it for episode 50, or, uh, 46. Uh, Happy New Year to everyone. We really appreciate you listening. If you haven't, uh, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Give us a five-star review if you enjoy listening to us. And uh, be sure to check out the site. You can follow me on Twitter at Carlos A. Colazzo. Uh, you can follow Brad at BT Roland. And you can obviously follow the site at Talking Chop. Uh, and with that, we will be back with another podcast next week. Thanks for listening. See you guys later.